zone. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the '80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Tarzan the Ape Man, released July 24th, 1981. It was written by Tom Rowe and Gary Goddard, based on a character by Edgar Rice Burroughs, directed by John Derrick, and released by United Artists. But it also has the MGM logo because they're the same company, basically, MGM and United Artists now. Author Edgar Rice Burroughs created the character of Tarzan in 1912 with his novel Tarzan of the Apes, which was serialized in pulp magazine The All Story, the same publication that would introduce Zorro seven years later. Burroughs' story was obviously a very popular work, spawning 23 sequels and countless films. Really? Countless? I I couldn't count them. Okay. (laughs) You count everything, though. Well, the problem is, um, and we'll kind of get into it a little bit, but it's not like James Bond where there's like, a canon series there's like a bunch of different versions of it and there's things like jungle gym and george mm. of the jungle and okay. all these other things that are kind of similar but different yeah i mean that i mean that makes sense but it wasn't a uh, public domain so eventually it was but also where do you draw the line in terms of serials versus movies like they both played in theaters how long were they there's hundreds of them yeah you know The first story begins with Tarzan's parents, a British lord and lady shipwrecked in Angola. They have a child together in the jungle, John Clayton II, Viscount Greystoke. John's mother succumbs to sickness, and his father is killed by the leader of a local tribe of apes. John is raised to adulthood by the same apes, who rename him Tarzan, until he is discovered by new humans from Western society, specifically Jane and her father, who are shipwrecked with others on the same coast. In later novels, Tarzan and Jane marry and have a child together in England before returning to Africa. Burroughs considered Xantar and Tublat Zan before settling on the name Tarzan, a combination of the two. Zantar, Tublat Zan, Tar, Zan, Tarzan. The first novel has entered the public domain in the U.S., but internationally, the Burroughs estate holds a copyright on the word Tarzan. Huh. So you can't make Tarzan movies and then release them internationally without... Right. Permission from the Burroughs estate. Huh. Interesting. I didn't realize. Um, I mean, you had to have a copyright in every nation you want to have that in. I don't know all that stuff, actually. But um, I just know that, that seems to be the situation right now for that particular IP. Interesting. Tarzan of the Apes was first adapted to film in 1918 in the form of a silent picture starring Elmo Lincoln. Just picture Elmo with a top hat. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really wish that I could do the Tarzan uh, impersonation, ah, ah, ah. but as Elmo. <laughs> in 1931, MGM bought the rights to Tarzan and other characters from Burroughs' works with the understanding that the studio would develop an original story and retain remake rights in perpetuity. So we say other characters from his works. Other jo- Tarzan stories. Okay, so not Only like Only John- the ones that had been written at the time of this contract. So not like John Carter was not right, included. Right, it was not yet. included. But they had the rights to Tarzan, and they could use Jane and 
uh, Clayton and other popular characters from the series of novels. The following year, MGM produced Tarzan the Ape Man, starring Olympic swimmer and wrestler Johnny Weissmuller as the titular Tarzan. Weissmuller would go on to star in 11 more Tarzan films, five for MGM and six for RKO. Actor Buster Crabbe, who we discussed earlier on the show for having played the original live-action Flash Gordon, also played the lead in a Tarzan serial, Tarzan the Fearless. Coincidentally, Sam Jones, the Flash Gordon of the 80s, was brought in to audition for tonight's Tarzan film, but was turned down. In 1959, MGM mounted their first remake of Tarzan the Ape Man, which they later followed up with 1981's second remake, which we'll be discussing shortly. Tarzan has also had several television adaptations, including an animated series from Filmation entitled Tarzan Lord of the Jungle, which inspired the short-lived animated parody series George of the Jungle, which would see its own live-action adaptation from Disney in the late 90s with Brendan Fraser in the lead. Uh-huh. Did you guys know George of the Jungle only ran for like three months? There's only like 17 episodes of the, George of the Jungle. The animated series? Yeah. Oh. And oh, it wow. got a movie. That's, that's interesting. Very I thought weird. it was much more epic than that. No. Disney followed that film up two years later with their animated Tarzan feature, which seems to be modeled after Miles O'Keefe, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, oh, for sure. But uh, I haven't seen Disney claim that anywhere. There was also a 1998 film starring Casper Van Dien and a 2016 film starring Alexander Skarsgård, but neither did especially well. Tarzan remains a household name and has gone on to be the subject of several successful radio shows, stage plays, video games, and comics. There's even a part of L.A. named after it. That's true. That's where I first lived when I moved here. I thought you lived in Reseda when you first moved here. Mm -mm, It was Tarzana, and I remember because I specifically googled it and i'm like oh that's a weird name for a place like i wonder because i was wondering if the character was named after the The location you know because i was like oh topanga canyon they named topanga after this like canyon and i'm like did they name tarzan after the city and it was the other way around they named the city after the character the character also appeared in a series of snl sketches alongside tonto and the frankenstein monster where tarzan was played by kevin nealon Ladies and gentlemen, here are Tato, Tarzan, and Frankenstein performing We Are the World. We are world. We are children. We are one who make bright day. We start giving. When the film was coming together, Bo Derek was at the height of her popularity. Disappointed with last year's A Change of Seasons, Derek was briefly attached to High Road to China, which we discussed in our Raiders review, as Tom Selleck's failed attempt at an Indiana Jones franchise. Derek dropped out of the project, announcing publicly that she refused to be directed by anyone but her husband, John Derek. Between High Road to China and Tarzan, the Derricks made efforts to bring the first official Marvel adaptation to the silver screen. Oh. Do you guys recall the last time we brought up a movie that started as a Marvel adaptation? I think it was another situation with an actress and her husband. Hmm. When they started working on Xanadu, it was because a Silver Surfer movie had fallen apart. Oh. That was set to star Olivia Newton-John as the Silver Surfer's girlfriend. Oh, okay. And I think it was going to be produced or directed by Olivia Newton-John's husband at the time. In 1979, Marvel Comics teamed up with Casablanca Records, intending to orchestrate the release of a new comic character alongside the release of a disco album and a live-action feature film, and Dazzler was born. What? Dazzler is basically Marvel's gem. She's a disco and pop star with the power to convert sound into light. 
Over the years, wait, she has wait, been. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, what I don't <laughs> understand the usefulness of it either. I've never read a Dazzler comic, but, so like, okay, once <laughs> once you turn the sound into light, then what? <laughs> then you've basically saved the day. Okay. <laughs> Over the years, she has been affiliated with the X Men, the Avengers, and more recently with A Force, the all female Avengers team. The character of Dazzler recently made her feature film debut as a brief cameo in X Men: Dark Phoenix, played by Halston Sage a.k.a. Lieutenant Alara from the Orville. Spoiler alert, that means that this other Dazzler movie never happened. <laughs> but I did read the 14-page treatment for it today, and it is bonkers. It involves Dazzler teaming up with Spider-Man and the Avengers to battle evil, super-powered bands from the future played by Kiss and the Village People. Okay. Played by Kiss and the Village People. I think we should still try to make this happen. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> the main Avengers team in this treatment was Iron Man, Falcon, Scarlet Witch, the Beast, and the Wasp. Jarvis is there too, but as a human butler serving the guests of the Avengers Mansion. This fits perfectly into what we've already been doing. This right. is great. This is this is the perfect what if. This is phase five, guys. <laughs> the cast is rounded out with a love interest played by Robin Williams, four different characters played by Rodney Dangerfield, <laughs> oh, no. dueling witches played by Cher and Donna Summers, and Lenny and Squiggy as the Jesters. Weirdly, they're not credited as Michael McKeon and David Lander, but as their Laverne and Shirley characters, <laughs> Lenny and Squiggy. But at the center of it all, Bo Derek was set to star as Allison Blair, a.k.a. Dazzler. Because of Bo's attachment, John was automatically attached as director. The bidding war for the film rights stopped dead with John Derek's attachment, and everyone pulled out simultaneously. The producers dropped Bo Derek, offering Daryl Hannah in her place, with John Derrick removed, but the moment was over and the film quietly died. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm literally picturing like an auction house full of people with their paddles up and then he walks into the room and they're like, ah, never Oh, never mind. mind. Exactly. <laughs> John Derrick reassigned his Dazzler screenwriter, Gary Goddard, to a Tarzan adaptation. In February of 1981, MGM officially announced their second remake of Tarzan the Ape Man with the Derricks attached. Warner Brothers was upset immediately because they had just bought the rights to Tarzan from the Burroughs estate for a simultaneous adaptation written by Chinatown's Robert Town called Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Wait, how? but how does... Sorry, I'm confused as to how MGM could do this if they had the rights. Because MGM retained remake rights of their own previous uh, oh. film, there was nothing Warner Brothers could do to stop the film. Even the Burroughs tried suing MGM because they wanted to establish an exclusive claim to the character, but the judge disagreed because the contract they made with, with Burroughs himself in the 30s specified that they had rights to this story. To this one yeah. Tarzan story as a remake, which is why all three of these are called the Tarzan the Ape Man. And they're all basically the same story. Uh. The working title for the remake of this story was Me, Jane to redirect the focus of the film on its star, but MGM decided that their case was stronger that this was a remake if they kept the original title. And besides, there's about as much Tarzan in the previous two films as there is in this one. They all kind of focus on Jane the most. Other working titles included simply Tarzan, Jane the Ape Woman, and <laughs> least sensible, Tarzan the Ape Man, Me Jane. Like a full <laughs> sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Gary Goddard put the script together in two weeks. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going with the title. The, 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 least, the last one, the least sensical, was Tarzan, the ape woman. <laughs> that <laughs> that, that would make less sense, too. 
Lee Canahalen was originally cast as Tarzan, but injured his knee before production began and would rely heavily on a stuntman. When the stuntman developed appendicitis, he and Canahalen were dropped from the cast after about four days of production, or six weeks, depending on who you ask. <laughs> That's quite a wide margin. Miles O'Keefe was brought on for his feature film debut. His character in the film has no lines, so all he had to do, really, was be super sexy next to Bo Derek, and I think he succeeds. Though, he did do all his own stunts in the film. Yeah. I, all I want to know is if he did his own Tarzan yell. No, he didn't. That's nah. the Johnny Weissmuller yell. Erland Van Lith, the giant murderer Grossberger from Stir Crazy, was offered the tribal warrior role, but turned it down because he was required to shave his head, but he needed hair for an upcoming part in Clan of the Cave Bear. But he wound up not landing either role, unfortunately. Uh, well, I guess this is better for him that he didn't get this one. I guess, yeah, because this Cause one was bad. not <laughs> not celebrated. <laughs> the plan was to shoot in Thailand and then Brazil and finally Sri Lanka, which just got cheaper and cheaper as they went. Oliver Reed was attached in the James Parker role, but had to step away due to a SAG strike. I would have liked to have seen that too. I think that'd be pretty I mean, amazing. I love Richard Harris. Yeah, right? totally. No, but like I feel like. Oliver Reed, like if Oliver Reed like bowed out, I was like, yeah, Richard Harris would be like my yep, next go-to. that's who I would go to, yeah, for sure. Somewhere in pre-pro, Treat Williams was announced by MGM for the Tarzan role, but that obviously didn't happen. I think that's a very weird choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> Richard and I both scrunched up our that. <laughs> because John and Bo Derek are famously difficult to work with, the crew of 23 dwindled to eight by the end of production. John Derrick rewarded the survivors with an I finished Tarzan armband, which I'm sure they promptly threw away. <laughs> I, I, I hope I hope that the plot of this movie is reminiscent how they just keep losing yeah, more exactly. and more people. Bo Derrick reportedly fired people at the drop of a hat, including one day the DP. When word got out that John Derrick was the new DP, MGM issued a firm denial, and yet he is the credited DP in the final product. Is that not against like I, I guess not. Of any sort. There's not the same protection for DP as there is for director, I guess. Okay. They had to keep a tight schedule because John Derrick had strategically planned for the film's release to coincide with Bo's upcoming Playboy spread. <laughs> the final edit was screened for the judge in the copyright case to prove it was a faithful remake of the earlier MGM releases, and the judge ordered several minutes of what he deemed excessive nudity to be removed. The cut we watched what? does not include the excessive nudity what okay <laughs> wow first yeah. of all why does the judge have any right to remove any footage from the movie at all because he was saying to them that this is not a faithful adaptation so you can't call it a remake legally so he's saying that the the excessive nudity prevented it from being a faithful remake it literally pushed it into a new genre which is pornography basically wow Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. I also thought that wasn't where you were going with that sentence. I thought, the judge ordered several minutes of alone time with the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it remains the only R-rated Tarzan. On a budget of $6.7 million, it grossed $10 million in its opening week and finished its run with a take of $27 million. It was nominated for six Razzies. Bo Derek tied with Faye Dunaway to win Worst Actress, which is insane, but we'll come back to that, I'm sure. It was nominated and lost for Worst Picture to Mommy Dearest, Actor for Harris to Clinton Spilsbury as the Lone Ranger, which makes sense, Director for Derek, who lost to fucking Michael Cimino for Heaven's Gate. What? They said that the directing here was better than on Heaven's Gate. That's 
ridiculous. Yeah. And also, Richard Harris is the best part of this movie. The yes. screenplay was nominated and lost to Mommy Dearest. And worst newcomer, we, we nominated our Tarzan here, and it went to Spillsbury as the Lone Ranger again. So he took home two Razzies that year. We start with the MGM Lion doing Johnny Weissmuller's famous Tarzan call. Which appears first in the 1932 iteration of this film, and again in almost every, if not every, version since. Over black, we hear a group of old men telling stories at a wedding. Someone being referred to as Sir Robert wants to tell the others of an adventure he had, but he's repeatedly interrupted by someone named Edgar. These gentlemen, I must tell you this bizarre adventure. Listen to me, listen to me. Another one of your lies. Edgar, Edgar, let him speak. All right, then get on with it. Thank you very much. Well, first of all, of course. The implication being that Edgar Rice Burroughs, who invented the character of Tarzan, actually stole the story from the real-life adventures of his acquaintance, Sir Robert, whoever Hmm. that is. It kind of reminds me of of the man who would be king, where he's telling the story to, to Kipling. Yeah. We start picture with an insert pushing into an old-fashioned map. Roberts begins his story in West Africa, 1910, a region circled by a magnifying glass resting on the old map. Robert tells them of a beautiful young woman, and they're all horned up immediately, demanding a precise description of the girl. As Roberts describes her, we see Bo Derek being carried through a busy marketplace on a rickshaw. This is Jane Parker. She seems to catch the eye of everyone she passes. She boards a small riverboat looking for a ride to Parker's camp. Uh, I want to stop here because I have a prediction that we're all going to make the same joke in about one minute. All right. (laughs) Interesting prediction. I I don't actually know what this joke is. I feel like I'm going to fail this. We get a weird spin wipe to Jane removing her makeup in her quarters. Jane hears the crew of the ship approaching her room that night and draws a gun to defend herself. Janie's got a gun. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no, no. Was gonna, was nope, oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, for sure, we're all going to make the Janie's got a gun joke. <laughs> <laughs> they kick in her door, and she fires her weapon, and the screen goes lime green, and the words Tarzan the Ape Man appear, punched out of what looks like a colored pencil drawing of jungle creatures, but still with this fluorescent green backdrop. It's difficult to look at and harder to read. We cut to Jane sitting on top of the stalled riverboat, wondering what she should do now that she's killed the captain. At first, I thought she was on the boat alone, but later we'll see an adult and a pair of children riding with her. I don't, I don't understand what's happened here. I think they just tried to rape her in the night, and she killed somebody. Is that really what happened? I think that's I think the so. implication. I yeah. like, I did, but we never come back I, to this. I, I backed it up, and I'm like, I don't, because the, this movie is bizarre in several places where, like. It's very gratuitous in some places. And then in other places, I'm like, you cut around an important moment and I don't actually really know what happened. Yeah. It doesn't make sense why the rest of this movie isn't a trial. Like (laughs) she shot this guy and then just continued riding on the boat to her destination. Look at me. I'm the captain now. (laughs) (laughs) At sunset, she dives off the boat into the water and then swims after it for fun, I guess. I, I think she's tied to it. Um, it looked like she was going to do like water skiing for a second. Yeah, but I was like, "What? Is, what? No!" I think she brought the rope on purpose so she could get back to the boat. But right, right. I don't know why we're diving off of it into this water. Yeah, you don't want to be like being dragged by this boat with who knows what's in the water. Yeah, it looks like she might be naked as she tries to climb back into the boat, but maybe she's just wearing really clingy clothes, which we'll see more of later. That night, she's in a tent by herself when she notices a snake just outside and screams. We cut to the next day. As the boat continues chugging along the river, 
As it approaches the Parker camp, we see her father, James Parker, asleep in a tent with a native woman and what looks like an Irish wolfhound in the bed. Did you know the dog breed before I said it? Did you say it? Yeah. When I had I w- to Google it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you Googled it? Because yeah. I walked in and I'm like, ooh, is that an Irish wolfhound? And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I just had to Google it. Okay. I don't know dogs that well. Oh. I know that dog only because it's, it's, it's very recognizable. It's a crazy, massive dog. James rolls over in bed and lifts a framed photograph of himself and Jane's mother, Elizabeth, and kisses Elizabeth's face in the picture. James ladles a bunch of cold water across his sleeping girlfriend to wake her up. I hope it's water. <laughs> <laughs> Jane watches the camp through a telescope as she approaches, and suddenly James is shouting to Holt, his second-in-command, that she is here. Holt! Get up! Apparently, James was expecting his daughter's arrival, but doesn't seem to care enough to put on any clothes. No, No. he's not. Later, we'll learn that that's not exactly true. (laughs) He's only wearing the shirt he slept in, which doesn't even cover his butt cheeks. He runs out to the water to greet the arriving boat, and we get a quick glimpse of the Dumbledong that we complained about not seeing in The Man Called Horse (laughs) when he squats into the water. James has fully boarded the boat before he realizes his mistake. When he said she has arrived, he wasn't talking about his daughter. He had no idea she was coming. He was talking about a cannon he ordered. And even though it is here, he seems disappointed to see his daughter. At first glance, he mistakes her for her mother. My God. I'm Jane. He shouts to Holt to prepare his camera to shoot an unboxing video for his brand new Canon. (laughs) For a moment, Jane assumes that he didn't even recognize her, but he makes it clear that he knows who she is. I know who you are. (laughs) Jane is greeted on the dock by the Irish wolfhound Moses, who accidentally knocks her back into the water. Holt rushes to help her, but she seems all right. I hope the other dog's name is Ramesses. I think it's Oliver. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's just dumb then. after the departed Oliver Reed, who did not stick around for this movie. She compliments Holt's photography because apparently she's seen some of his work back home. Holt learns through this conversation that she is the daughter of his boss, James Parker. Holt admits that not only didn't he know she was coming, he didn't even know she existed. Holt introduces Jane to James's girlfriend, Nambia, who James has nicknamed Africa, which is a very colonial thing to do. That night, James is regaling dinner guests with stories of his adventures. Jane ducks into his tent, and they all take their seats around a fancy meal. James introduces her to the group. Richard Harris, playing James here, is actually four years younger than director John Derrick, Beau's husband. James suggests to his dinner guests that he and Jane's mother separated when she was young, but Jane corrects him that he left them, and also informs him that she has since passed away. James seems hit hard by the news, and excuses his guests to speak privately with his daughter. I would assume that James is faking this show of emotion if we didn't see him kiss her photograph earlier, which I assume is the only reason we saw that. Jane explains that she felt abandoned by her father and threatens to use her deceased mother's estate to buy out the whole Parker camp and shut down his expeditions if she isn't invited to participate freely. James points to the fact that he still has a photograph of her mother as proof of his genuine love. He then explains that he left because her mother was weak, even almost dying in childbirth, which is obviously not a reflection of someone's weakness or strength. (laughs) James tries to profess his love for his daughter as well, but she isn't buying it. How much do you hate me? I think 
so very, very much. She leaves him and returns to Holt's tent, which he offered her for the night while he stays elsewhere. In the middle of the night, James decides to test his new cannon to fire some good night rounds into the darkness. The next morning, Jane goes to check in with Holt, who is looking at negatives he has shot. He tells her that these are photographs of the escarpment, home of the mythological elephant graveyard. Her father is evidently obsessed with finding it. It's the same goal of the two previous incarnations of James Parker from the MGM releases, and amusingly, the first one claims that the elephant graveyard will have enough ivory to supply the world. Of course, ivory! Enough ivory to supply the world. As though the world has a specific need for a certain amount of ivory. Dad, I think he's an ivory dealer. His boots are ivory, his hat is ivory, and I'm pretty sure that check is ivory. I'm sure he'll make a grand piano. (laughs) (laughs) This is is a Stampy episode. Yeah. Where's my elephant? That that episode has got everything. It's got the, I'll pull my legs out with my arms and my arms out with my face. Holt expresses an admiration for her father's ability to get things done. We see the riverboat pulling away to head north again, and Jane waves goodbye to the crew. Jane visits her father to announce that she's joining them on the hike to the escarpment. Of course, he thinks it's too dangerous and refuses, but she makes it clear she's coming either way. We get a Gilligan cut as Jane is already prepared to leave with them. There's a lot of very unusual wipes. Yeah. It almost felt like I was watching Star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, man, these wipes are crazy. Or like Flanders dating video. Yeah. But there's there's like a flame wipe. There's a heart wipe. Yeah. And and there's like a, there's a radial wipe, but it radials from one of the corners, which I think is interesting. Right. yeah. Yeah. James lies to his daughter that his gun and holster were a gift from the real Buffalo Bill Cody. Holt takes some photographs as the expedition leaves camp. Someone on bagpipes leads the way through a field. James sings a song, originally a William Blake poem, called And Did Those Feet in Ancient Time, which was not actually put to music by Sir Hubert Perry until 1916, six years after the events of this film. (gasps) Confirmed time traveler. (laughs) The lyrics include a mention of Chariots of Fire, Do you guys know the next time we'll hear about Chariots of Fire? Is it in Chariots of Fire? That's right. (laughs) Best Picture winner from the same theatrical year, whose title was inspired by the same William Blake poem. We see James pose for Holt's photography. That night over a campfire, Holt admits that he's gotten some great photos of James and a few of Jane today. He tells Jane how lucky she is to be born into her current situation, and she turns it around, claiming he's the lucky one to have been born a man with all the freedom that entails. We see the expedition moving over hills and across streams. We get a shot of Jane in her tent when she's awoken by a bird call, and when she rolls over, she sees her father sticking his hand through a tent flap, puppeting his hand like a bird. Later, they come across a rogue elephant, which are notoriously dangerous, but James proves himself something of an elephant whisperer and coaxes the creature back into the wilderness with another song. They strike up the bagpipes again to continue their journey. Suddenly, James stops and makes Jane cover her eyes so he can surprise her. He hands her a pair of binoculars, and she's stunned by the size of the enormous rock in their path. I don't think the binoculars were <laughs> necessary to see this giant mountain. I think you could probably see more of it without them. Well, that yeah, that was the weird reveal, because you're like, okay, you're looking really close. Okay, I'm looking at a rock. Okay, go up. Still looking at a rock. Okay, go up. Still looking at a rock. Go up. Still looking at a rock. I'm okay, like, now it, cover your eyes. Cover your eyes. Okay, but like... It could have been a much smaller thing, but yeah. with binoculars, it feels bigger because you're zoomed in on it. Yeah. But when you're actually looking at the thing in its entirety, you're like, whoa. But there's also no way she didn't already see it if they've been walking toward it for a long time. If it's that big. They could have been in canopied jungle. No. It's the escarpment Holt mentioned, 
which hides behind it the elephant graveyard. James assures her that there is only one way up the mountain, and I wish they could have come here when some elephants were still in the act of climbing this sheer cliff face <laughs> with a complicated police system. Well, you know, like elephants are like mountain goats. They can climb any... Just walk straight up the wall. <laughs> like if it's like more than 90 degrees, they can climb it. <laughs> that night, they hear the Tarzan call, and Holt and James take turns exaggerating his dimensions to Jane. It's a great white ape. Supposedly 10 feet tall. A great white man. Supposedly 100 feet tall. And reiterating the danger of Tarzan, James doubles his potential height to 200 feet. He accuses even Holt of being terrified and says fear is good for you. Fear of the dark. Fear of death. Fear of the unknown. Fear of a 500 foot white monster. It was fear that first brought gods into the world. Of the 50 tribesmen they brought along for the expedition, all but 10 have abandoned the cause in fear of Tarzan, possibly a subtle reference to the eight remaining crew members after Bo fired the other 15. Is there really only 10 left at this point? Yeah. yeah. It feels like more throughout the rest of the movie, though. Maybe they talk a few into staying because he, he deploys a tactic here to try and get more people to come with them. Mm. James asks his girlfriend, Nambia, who he's still calling Africa, if she's going with them to the top, and when she responds in the affirmative, he tells her to brag to the others to shame them into coming along. When they're alone together, James tells his daughter to indulge herself 100% in all things to enjoy her time on Earth. She announces that she will join them on the trip to the top, and we get another of these moments where he tells her she's definitely not going, and we cut right to her going. We learn the purpose of his new cannon is to launch a grappling hook, to the top of this rock face to aid in their climbing. For some reason, they've brought along the Irish wolfhounds to scale this rock wall. How do they get the dogs up? They well, must have, like, tied them to their backs. Yeah, they, they show them uh, the dogs in harnesses occasionally with yeah. ropes attached to them. Just leave them at the camp and come back. You're not staying on the other side of this mountain. I, I guess they want them for early alarm and, and possibly defense. Maybe. They've climbed their way to the last section of rock, and James is crossing it first. When a second man tries to cross, we see the rope is being dragged back and forth over a sharp edge. The friction is cutting it thinner and thinner. Holt, Nambia, and Jane all take their turns under the Sword of Damocles, but eventually the rope snaps as an anonymous guide makes the trek, and he falls to his death screaming. We cut to James, presumably on a hilltop, shouting to God, as personified by a lens flare shining down on him. Why did you do that? Thunder rumbles in response. The next morning, James shows Jane a map which indicates the presence of an inland sea somewhere in these mountains. He's clearly drawn this map himself, and all the writing is in English, but presumably someone told him all this was here, meaning he won't have discovered it if he finds it. He later explains that he drew the map based on reports from an Egyptian expedition a thousand years ago. Supposedly, the elephant graveyard is on the banks of the inland sea. As they cross another river, they can hear the roaring of the ocean waves of the fabled Inland Sea. And it wouldn't have waves like this, because even on the map he drew, it's not big enough to have waves this size. So, the, so they've clearly just gotten to an ocean. Right. Yeah. Which means, why did you climb that thing? You could have gone around it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they could have done that the whole time for sure. I think the implication is this, that... There's the, some magical reason that there's waves happening here. Well, no, I think it's just that the the implication is that... Africa is so big and so unexplored that this this gigantic sea, bigger than as big as the Mediterranean, 
had had never been discovered. But even the waves in this inland sea are bigger than you would see waves on the Mediterranean. Yeah, I would agree. When the camera pans out over the water, it's clear this is just ocean, and there's no land on the other side that we can see. Either way, the full expedition celebrates and jumps into the surf. As he dances in the water, James prophesizes that he will be knighted by the king and sainted by the pope. Jane announces to her father that she intends to take a bath, fully nude in this water, and it sounds just as contrived as it would in any other porn. Also, it's it's very salty and very... Is it salt water or is it freshwater because it's an inland well i mean uh, i mean yes i mean so like on his map it was not connected to the ocean right but but the dead sea and the salton sea are both inland bodies of water that are very salty okay so you're you're suggesting that this appeared when land blocked off right part of its connection to the ocean yeah and and what happens is this is not just a collection of rainwater over time correct yeah and as the water is evaporated out the salt concentration increases because the minerals don't have anywhere to go but still there wouldn't be waves correct unless it was as big as an ocean yeah (laughs) james sends the rest of the expedition away to give jane her privacy she swims around naked for a while and then collects her dress from the shore and tries to put it on in the water when suddenly we can see a lion approaching in the background. Her dress is basically completely transparent when wet, and she finally notices the lion and jumps back out into the water. It seems like Bo Derek has never been in the ocean before, because she's just letting huge waves crash over the back of her head. Finally, Tarzan comes to her rescue. We see him doing his Tarzan call, which is actually just the Johnny Weissmuller call, and then running across the beach toward her. This is Miles O'Keefe in his first feature film appearance, showing up nearly halfway through the film. He seems to be interacting directly with a real lion, which is neat. Yeah, but it seems like the lion's like his buddy. Right, yeah. 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 Or, or they have some kind of history. Yeah. Tarzan approaches Jane in the water and tries to drag her out onto the beach against her will. She struggles against him and he lifts her in the air as she kicks and screams. Suddenly, the lion lunges out to tackle them both and Tarzan shoves Jane back toward the ocean before turning to push back the lion. Turns out... The lion was supposed to be secured in this scene, so he couldn't reach the actors, but he broke free of his restraints when he saw what he thought was Miles O'Keefe attacking Bo Derek. Oh my god. I mean, like, when you... Okay, I mean, you were standing there when I watched yeah, the scene. Yeah, I wanted to see your reaction I to was it. like, that's a real lion attacking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. And it's the real actors, too. Oh, man. O'Keefe reacted perfectly to avoid a disaster. He didn't panic. He put himself between Bo and the lion long enough for the trainer to intervene and drag the lion back to its cage. Oh, my God. Neither actor was injured in the accident, but O'Keefe made sure to double-check that all the animals were secured for the rest of the shoot to avoid another mishap. Obviously, this is not the actor's job to do, but it had been made clear to him that the designated handlers weren't doing it. Well, I I have I have an issue later with other with yeah. another uh, animal interaction, so yeah. we'll get there. <laughs> Suddenly, a gunshot rings out on the beach, and the lion and Tarzan disappear into the tree line. James and Holt run up to protect her. Presumably, they expected to just watch her bathe here from the bushes, but they noticed a lion had entered the scene. That night, beside a bonfire on the beach, James basically tells Jane that Tarzan only wants to fuck her. Because James wants to keep his daughter all to himself, he announces his intention to kill Tarzan and mount his head on the wall at his club. Jane forbids it. The next day, the expedition moves from the inland sea toward where James believes they will find the elephant graveyard. James spots a local tribe with painted skin watching them from above a hill. The whole group decides to ignore the painted man, but moments later, we hear a woman scream. 
Apparently, something has happened to Nambia, and Holt blames Tarzan, even though we didn't see Tarzan do anything, and Nambia is gone. Did they see the natives? I thought that they did not see I, the natives. I, I, he I, looks up at him, and then they keep walking. Mm, yeah, I kind of took it as they, they didn't see them there. but The implication right. could be that he had no idea they were there, and that's why they don't know what happened to Nambia. Mm. James calls Tarzan a goddamned bastard, but he pronounces the Ned in goddamned in a way that I've never heard before. You goddamn Ned bastard! We get a quick insert of a pair of painted tribesmen carrying Nambia away, and James reminds Jane that he's going to kill Tarzan and make a trophy of him. In the middle of the night, James is the last man awake beside the campfire, and his Irish wolfhounds are whining about something. James notices a couple painted tribesmen at the edge of their camp. He checks for a pulse and finds that they are dead. In the morning, he has a little back and forth with Jane that I don't fully understand. We're moving out! But they wouldn't have killed themselves. I didn't say that. Well, then maybe they took African. It wasn't Tarzan. He did. Let's go! It sounds to me like she's saying that these two painted dead men that he found are the ones who took Nambia, and that they somehow died right at the edge of James's camp. I think she's suggesting that Tarzan rescued Nambia, aka Africa, and killed these two men before returning their bodies to James to try and curry favor. But if that happened, wouldn't he also return Nambia? Yeah, he would, which is why I don't understand what actually happened to these guys. I don't guys. either. I don't yeah. know who killed these men. They're just dead. But they're painted, so they're not a part of James's group. Yeah. Right. Oops. Anyway, next page, thought the screenwriter. Later in the day, Jane petitions for a 15-minute break to fill her canteen in the river. That's a hell of a canteen. <laughs> Holt is put in charge of watching her, while the rest move ahead with James to scout things out. Holt watches Jane begin to bathe in the river and turns away just in time for Tarzan to appear from the water and yank Jane under the surface. You had one job, Holt. Yeah, one just, job. <laughs> but I think he thought he was going to get in more trouble for watching her bathe. Which oh, is that like why he turned away? I thought he was bored. I don't know. She just started <laughs> splashing herself with water again. <laughs> I'm into James. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of think he might be. Yeah. Say, taking all those photographs of him. Once Holt turns back, he's horrified to see that he has lost his boss's daughter in the water. That's That sounds too weird to say. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to Tarzan, fireman carrying Jane through the jungle some distance away. They stop at the foot of what looks like that huge tree from Jurassic Park that the Ford Explorer fell out of. Well, we're back in the car again. Tarzan sets Jane down, and she pulls out the Buffalo Bill gun to scare Tarzan back, but he doesn't even know what it is. She fires it in the air once to warn him backward, and he runs away. She regrets firing the weapon because she didn't want him to leave her. As she wanders through the jungle, she hears another gunshot and realizes that she's supposed to fire her weapon in the air in response until she and her search party have found each other. She backs against a tree, and a huge snake suddenly lowers itself to wrap around her. Tarzan swings into frame in a crappy slow-mo shot where they just pulled out every other frame and then doubled them to make it look slow motion. Yeah, it's... It looks like trash. It's super blurry. It's really a garbage shot. Yeah, and it goes on for so long. Yes. The snake is tightening itself around Jane as Tarzan arrives. Bo Derek seems to legitimately be wrapped up by this snake, which is yeah. kind of terrifying. She turns and falls into the river with the snake still wrapped around her. Tarzan leaps into action and pulls the snake off of Jane, and we get a long, drawn-out, fake slow-mo sequence of Jane struggling against this snake in the water. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> I actually watched it twice because I, I it was so incredibly long that I'm like, 
I have to time this. And I know that sometimes I feel like we exaggerate the length of things on here, but this was just her struggling with this snake in the water was two and a half minutes of just struggling with a snake in the water. And it's super tight close up the whole yeah. time. And it's got like, yeah, it's like layers of like this angle of her struggling yeah, with it's it. Constantly and then dissolving. that angle of yeah. her struggling with it. And I'm like, what is this? This is two and a half straight minutes. Someone of saw this struggle. and thought, yeah, this is much better than Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. <laughs> Yeah, no one, no one told the editor. You, when you remove out the gratuitous nudity, you don't have to put stuff in yeah. to replace it. <laughs> Finally, Tarzan and Jane wander away from the snake and back through the woods. Tarzan sets Jane down in a clearing and drops to the floor and starts writhing around. A few apes wander out of the jungle to attend to him. Eventually, these apes are scared away by an elephant with yet another ape on its back. The elephant picks up Tarzan with its tusks and carries him back through the tree line into the wilderness, and Jane follows. But I'm bothered by this because it's not, it's it's chimpanzees and it's and there's an orangutan. Right. So I'm like, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> yes. orangutans don't belong, live in Africa. Yeah, they live in Tony Dance's apartment. <laughs> yes, that's where, they, that's where they're native to. Yes. But no, they're native to like Southeast Asia or something. Right. Like, so like, I, I guess I could forgive that, but like, it's the wrong kind of an elephant, too, if, yeah. if you're going to be picky. <laughs> these are not African elephants. But they're also mixing these creatures together, and I'm like, is this... I don't think that they would hang out together, no. either. I mean, I don't think Tarzan would hang out with these Fair creatures. Fair enough. Either. I guess we're stretching the imagination a- Apes here. are apes, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Holt and James wonder why Jane stopped firing her gun in response. The elephant eventually drops Tarzan on the banks of a small river, which is basically right where he picked him up. Like, it doesn't look super different from where he got Tarzan. I guess Tarzan got bit by the boa constrictor, but what? I looked it up, and they boa don't... constrictors don't have fangs or venom. No! Yeah. They just strangle shit. Yeah! Is that what they were implying here? Because... She says you have a snake bite on you. Oh, does she say yeah. that? Because I was like, I literally don't know what happened to him, because that was a boa constrictor. I'm like, they don't yeah. bite, so what like happened just, to you? He just, <laughs> he's been working in the mines all day, and he ran out of XP. I... I honestly thought that like he was just tired. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I thought it was just. So you take half of his possessions and you take him back to yeah. his house. <laughs> Freaking Linus steals my shit. I know you did. <laughs> oh, I found you in the cave and you lost some of your stuff. Uh huh. Sure, I did. I'm not leaving you berries no more. <laughs> not drinking any more of your special tea. Anyone getting these Stardew Valley references that we're making? Everybody plays Stardew. I got him. Yeah, we only need to make sure the third host gets it. That's oh. it. Total random segue. You can cut this out, but I was saying I was talking to my niece. And I says, "Oh man, someone should make a Stardew Valley TV show, but make it like the new Riverdale, where it's all dark and drama and shitty teen drama." That'd be awesome. And then second season has superpowers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just keeps going off the rails. <laughs> well, that's when you introduce the wizard right. and the concept of like all that. Yeah, I think Riverdale <laughs> literally did that, though. I think they like started making like superpowers and vampires and shit. Yeah, yeah. It it, it goes crazy. Yeah. What is Riverdale based on? Uh, Archie. The Archie Jughead oh, stuff. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was just always a sci-fi thing. No, Riverdale is the name of the town from the Archie comics. Oh. Bo Derek keeps doing this thing where she picks at her teeth with her fingernails when she's pretending to be nervous, and it's really annoying. It is. Like, get your hands out of your mouth. You're in the jungle. I've never touched a man before. She starts caressing the unconscious Tarzan. Elsewhere in the jungle, James assures Holt that Jane is tough 
and there's nothing to worry about. Again, James blames Tarzan for her absence and promises his revenge. Jane continues stroking the body of the unconscious ape man until he awakes with a startle. Uh, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Jane, Tarzan, and Tarzan's ape and elephant entourage play in the river for a while. James and Holt prepare a camp for the night, and it occurs to James that a large fire might lead Jane to them if they're no longer firing guns back and forth. Jane takes a seat under a tree, and Tarzan starts dropping leaves on her to get her attention. He lowers a vine to her and then lifts her into the tree with him. Back at the other camp, James finally gets a big bonfire going just in time for nightfall when it will be completely invisible. <laughs> Jane and Tarzan lay down beside each other in a nest of Tarzan's making. The next morning, James spreads his bearers out to perform a hunt for Jane. The bearers are the people who are just carrying his shit around. Yeah. He insists to Holt that she is alive, but it's unclear who he means until he says they're both alive, meaning Jane and Nambia. Last time he said she ambiguously, he was talking about a cannon. So I'm <laughs> guessing he's not talking about his daughter now either. I honestly didn't think he was talking about the two of them. I on I forgot his girlfriend was missing, so I was like, yeah. I when he said both of them, I thought he meant Tarzan. Like I gotta kill that dude oh, when okay. I find him. No, I think I think he's talking about the the only two women that he cares yeah. about, or maybe he's talking about Nambia and his cannon <laughs> is still alive. Jane wakes in the tree and slides down a vine to the river below. She quickly renders her thin white clothing transparent again with the river water, and Tarzan tries to approach her. She backs away slowly but there is quickly nowhere to go. More fingernail chewing. James fires his gun a bit more, hoping to draw Jane to him, but it only gets the attention of the painted tribe of the jungle. One of the apes gives Jane a banana, and she's excited to have proven her father wrong last night. Tarzan didn't rape her, so he must not want her body. I like that these are actual, like, bananas. That they're, yeah, just they're... like from a grocery store? <laughs> no, no, no. They're actually really tiny, which is how native bananas are. Like, they're not the cultivated... They're a decent size. <laughs> <laughs> but like you it's know not the size of the cows that's yeah. how you eat them they're tiny bananas <laughs> but that's but how actual bananas out. are <laughs> <laughs> well yes. cold river water this is the analogy that she is about to make yeah. with this banana <laughs> james parker you were wrong i'm still a virgin now i don't know whether that's good bad what are you you'd have to be i mean there's no one would he <laughs> i mean he could fuck that ape he could fuck whatever he but wants there's, an he elephant in the here. Jungle. there's a lot of tribes in this area he's a human being she starts having a full-on conversation with tarzan who as we have established cannot understand or respond to her she teaches him how to smile by jamming her fingers into the sides of his lips. But smiling is like a natural thing that human beings no, do. No, no, no. You just do it when people poke your face. <laughs> I mean, I do. But <laughs> but I, I I mean, it it might be only a natural thing you do because of interaction with other people. Mm. So if he really so is... It's a learned expression. If he really is alone, there's no, there's no reason to make any expressions. Maybe. Tarzan puts his fingers in her mouth to respond, and she looks pretty hot for it. He starts groping at her breasts, and she just stands there and reconsiders if her father was correct. James Parker, you might be right. You might want me. You just might. 
James Parker? It's wicked, I know. But I hope you're right. If Tarzan could talk, I'd like to think this is where he'd say, hey, can you shut up about your fucking dad for five seconds? <laughs> they hear a gunshot, and Jane realizes well, that her minute, father... Oh, sorry. Like, th- when, she's, when she's going off on this, it's wicked, I know. It's because he's, like, discovering her boobs. Yeah. Like, like oh, Yeah, look. he's fondling her all over, and this she's is... way into it. <laughs> but, like, I don't even feel like it's, like... Sexy time fondling. Like, it's like... Not for him, but for her it this? is. Yeah. You got this weird lump on you. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't I don't know what he's getting out of it specifically, <laughs> but I know what she's getting out of it. She's making it very clear. They hear a gunshot, and Jane realizes her father is nearby. James prepares to fire a final shot and begs God to let Jane hear it. We get another awful shot of Jane and Tarzan swinging on a vine together. Ugh. In the previous films, all the swinging is completely fucking majestic. Weissmuller looks like Spider-Man swinging gracefully through the jungle. But in this film, the vines look like zip lines. They're not swinging, they're just sliding through the shot in this blurry, shitty effect. And it looks awful. Which, which is better, this or Crystal Skull? Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. Yeah, better Whoa. than this. In terms of the vine swinging only. The apes are more believable here, though. Yeah. There, there <laughs> aren't they're real? <laughs> there, there aren't greaser apes. Right. Jane follows the gunshots to her father, but when he and Holt notice Tarzan is with her, they take turns shooting at him over Jane's protestations. Don't shoot! Don't shoot! No! She informs her father that Tarzan never took Africa in the first place. The painted tribe moves in and captures Jane, James, and Holt, but all of James's bearers are slaughtered in the riverbed. Okay, again, like you're gonna cut around all this stuff. You're gonna show. You're gonna show a lot. You're gonna show a lot, and then suddenly here you get like a flash frame indicating that everybody aside from these three were killed. Right. Probably the dogs too. Literally, like, all you see everybody. is the the painted tribes are coming up at them from behind. And then you, you like fade to black or dip to black and you come back up and you see all of his bearers' corpses just but, but, sprinkled across the yard. But like just yard. barely. Like, like it yeah. is just a flash of bodies I, and then you go on. I, I think it's a it's a tumble wipe, isn't it? Doesn't the whole screen go like spinning around yeah, yeah, yeah. like Batman style and then it comes back. Yeah, and then everyone's dead. Yeah. And there's like spears jammed in people too. Yeah, yeah. Like and no sign of any, like they, there must have been a fight of some kind. They didn't just stand there and let the spears hit them. I, w- I want this to be what the judge took out. Like, there was just a really brutal action scene. He's like, take this out. Put more of that other stuff in. I want more of the snake fight. <laughs> Twice two and a half yeah. minutes The judge is like, I just really like snake fights. Can you do more of that? <laughs> Tarzan's ape companion, probably Cheetah, though I don't think anyone names her in this, delivers the message to Tarzan that Jane and fam got kidnapped. Right? The, the, the ape is named Cheetah on the show, right? Uh, I think so. At the camp of the Painted Tribe, Holt and James are tied to posts. Nambia notices James has arrived. A group of children wake up their tribe's massive warrior character. I I love this whole bit of trying to wake him up where they're just slapping him and yeah. dumping water on him. Like, come he's on. he's like barely moving. He's just like, I don't know if he's supposed to be drunk yeah. or, or what, but he's just totally out of it. Suddenly, Jane has been stripped fully nude and we watch her being scrubbed by three or four natives for several minutes 
just scrubbing every inch of her naked body right in front of her father. And she's, but she's on all fours, right? And her hands are like tied down in front of her. Yeah, and it's they're reaching between her legs, under her, and, and over her, rubbing and all, over. all over everywhere. Yeah. She cries out in her most Willie Scott voice to complain about the forced bath. Yeah, they're washing me just like a horse. Oh, no. Jake. Her father tries to coach her into imagining that she is somewhere else. Tarzan arrives outside the camp and starts slapping the shit out of all of the <laughs> camp guards. <laughs> like, it's, some of them he's not even hitting. He's just swinging his arm near them. It's, it's like that video of the guy at the barbecue who's yes. just slapping people Yeah, around. the parody of the slap. Yeah. Yeah, I love that video. Now the Painted Tribe are just painting Jane white, mostly her boobs, just rubbing her boobs with white paint over and over again for another five minutes. Jane begs her father to tell a story to distract her, but instead, he fucking tells her the Humpty Dumpty nursery rhyme like a complete dumbass. This isn't a story, Dad. This is a nursery rhyme. It's four sentences long, and I know it. I don't know. It has a beginning, middle, and end. You could call it a story. It's not a story. He sat that you... on a wall. He had a great fall. You can't escape into this again. story. Beginning, middle, end. She didn't say, Dad, <laughs> recite a thing. Recite literally anything. <laughs> the giant warrior tribesman approaches Jane. James urges her to have an out-of-body experience to avoid being raped by the warrior. As the warrior walks past James... James attacks him from behind, but is quickly tossed aside and run through with an enormous elephant tusk, eliciting cries from Jane and Nambia. It's very clear that John Derrick identifies with the father character in this story, and it's pretty gross. Seconds too late, Tarzan shows up, seemingly out of thin air, and battles the painted warrior. The entire fight is played in slow-mo, because they probably didn't get enough coverage, but it turns out it's super boring to watch people struggle back and forth in slow motion. I do not understand who this guy is to the tribe because they don't seem to give a shit yeah. that he's being attacked right now right there's no one they're helping. just standing there watching well i guess it's just hey this is how you handle things if you take out the leader you become the leader it and might also be like in uh kill and kill again where it's like this guy's the strongest he's beaten all of us so if you can beat him up then you're the new guy yeah eventually tarzan gets an arm around the warrior's neck and snaps it he lets out one more Tarzan cry and pounds his chest, but the rest of the tribe just stands there in shock. Tarzan unties Jane and leads her to her father where he lay dying so they can say their goodbyes. James admits he's been wrong about Tarzan. And I thought I could stuff him and hang him on the wall. James offers Jane half credit on their discoveries and asks Holt to take a photo to commemorate the moment before dying. Holt is still tied around his neck to a post, so yeah. he can't do anything. Well, because then she asked him to take a picture, <laughs> yeah. too, he's and like, he's I like, still dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm tied up. Like, I just imagine her walking off with, I mean, she does walk off with Tarzan, but, like, nobody ever untied him, just yeah. left yeah. him there with the tribe to die. He's just die. like, there's rope right against my neck. I can't do anything. Yeah, and, and what happens to Africa slash Nambia? She's fine. Yeah, I guess. Jane asks Holt to deliver word home that she intends to stay here with Tarzan. We cut to Jane and Tarzan taking a dip in the river to wash off all the white paint, and Tarzan's ape friend takes a big slurp off of one of Jane's nips. Under the credits, we sit and watch Topless Jane, Topless Tarzan, and their ape child wrestle each other on a dirt hill for like four minutes. It's we, honestly the most wholesome footage in the whole movie, because the ape is clearly having fun with them. Yeah, but before that, we had the heart wipe. Oh, right, on the way <laughs> to the hillside, yes. Yeah, it's, just like, a, it's like a heart wipe. It's like, what is that? Because they're in love. Isn't that cute? Ugh. 
I'm also very certain that there's a version of this last shot where all three of them are fully nude doing the same thing because that seems like something John Derrick would just want to have. <laughs> just put that in the can. Yeah, it's just going to be for me. I like I'm just I'm super bothered by this this last like this really long last shot of them all wrestling together. I thought that was cute actually. You thought it was cute? Yeah, because it seems like the monkey's actually playing the games with them, and they're just wrestling. Yeah, but at the same time, the monkey seems too into Bo Derek. Well, there was an IMDb trivia point that I left out that said that within like a couple hours on set that all the apes were just obsessed with her. But it doesn't look like the ape is being specifically sexual with her in this last yeah, scene. I don't know. There are moments where it does feel that way. Like, I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know. It, it 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 troubles me the way they interact here. It's at least consensual, I'd say. Oh, God. <laughs> but I honestly just thought it looked like people playing with a pet and the pet enjoying it. Like, they're just rolling around over each other and kicking each other in the face and stuff. I don't know. It looked funny. Changes from the book. James and Jane Parker were originally Professor Archimedes and Jane Porter. Not Parker. But they're hmm. Parker in all three of the MGM films. Okay. The Holt character is a stand-in for William Cecil Clayton, who is actually the cousin of Tarzan, who inherited Tarzan's estate when Tarzan disappeared with his parents in Africa. At the end of the novel, Jane returns to America and marries Clayton in Wisconsin. Tarzan comes to America to find her, where he learns his true identity, but decides to return to Africa without telling Jane to protect her happiness with Clayton. These changes are consistent across all three versions of Tarzan the Ape Man. Earlier Films in 1932, with Johnny Weissmuller and Maureen O'Sullivan, it's basically scene for scene identical to this, but without the nudity. On my first pass, it sounded like one of the tribes in this version is called the Wakanda, but I think it's actually Wakamba. It just sounded like Wakanda. Oh, the Wakanda. And the tribe that captures them toward the end of the film is a tribe of dwarves. But how much sexy body painting was in that one? None. <laughs> Maureen O'Sullivan's shrill screaming is actually really awful to listen to for the entire film. Instead of busting in alone at the end, Tarzan brings a parade of elephants to rescue the Parker expedition, and we see the elephants picking up dwarf actors with their trunks and just tossing them all over the set. Oh it looks God. super dangerous. And at the end, James dies in the elephant graveyard, which seems much more poetic. Yeah. Because yeah. the whole point is he's trying to get to this elephant graveyard, no. and then he dies there like he was an elephant instead of like he was going to victimize these elephants by taking all the ivory. Yeah. Isn't that he, better? Well, I mean, I think being killed by the ivory he sought is also I kind don't of think a that's symbolic. as poetic though as as like coming to peace with it because if you want this character to be redeemed, it would be nice if he joined the elephants so much that he actually dies where they go to die. Only if the elephants took him there. Like carried his body there. Well, he he's wounded in the climax, and they're moving through the elephant graveyard, and he so he gets to discover yeah. it mm. in person, and then he dies. Yeah. There. Well, yeah, it, that that is that poetic thing. So you 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 have your treasure, but you can never leave with it. Right. So yeah. Uh, in the '59 version, Holt is much grumpier. He openly hates Tarzan, and he fights for Jane's attention. It also features what looks like footage from an actual elephant hunt which I hope wasn't shot for the film. How about some elephant on toast? Hmm? A little on the tough side, I think. The natives love them. Do they taste that good? Who cares? It's about quantity, not quality. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's literally just about, like, the street cred. <laughs> like, the, like he says, like, who cares? It puts a spring in your step or something like that. Anyway, yeah, so that was Tarzan the Ape Man. 
it's pretty rough. Um, I mean, Bo Derek's hot, and so I'm not going to turn down seeing her naked. But it's two hours long. Yeah, it is two hours long, and it's very poorly directed, and almost nothing happens. I mean, like I think that that like there's salvageable stuff in here, but like 45 minutes worth of story. Right, and I also hate that the climax is this other tribe that just comes in at the last second. And yeah. has nothing to do with the first two right. thirds of the movie. Yeah. Where you're setting up that there's going to be like a confrontation between Tarzan and James. And all that comes of that is he shoots at Tarzan a couple times and misses every time. Right. He, do- he doesn't. There's no lessons learned. I guess I guess James comes around and Only because Tarzan daughter. saved his daughter's life. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason why he turns around. Well, well, no, I was going to say he turns around in sort of his interactions with his daughter and he comes to like know her and love her in the end where he was disappointed to see her in the beginning and i think that stuff seems really unrealistic to me i don't think he cares about his daughter in the whole first half of this movie other than as a sex object and so for him at the end to suddenly be like oh well you know what this guy's gonna take really good care of you and i love you both and and god bless and it's like nah it's not a believable turn for this guy he seems like he's a jerk the whole time and he's probably just mad that he never found the elephant graveyard and that's the end of the story Mm. i i yeah i i I don't think that he has too much character development, but uh, I do think Richard Harris is the best part of the movie. Yeah. I, I think like all of his rantings and ravings are are just a joy to watch. Right. But yeah, um, and the Holt character is a complete waste of time. Yeah. He does nothing. He's just there. Well, and I thought for sure going into the movie that- Holt would be the Robert character telling the story? Oh, no. Uh, I thought that there was going to be a, a love triangle. Like, like Yeah. Oh, Holt yeah. Well, that's how it a... is in the second version of this story. Yeah. It, it, it seemed like that they needed that kind of, like, something to happen like that. Yeah. In, in the 32 version, he's very gentlemanly. He's the same as this Holt, where he never, you know, makes any assumptions, and he never tries to win her away from Tarzan. But he shoots at Tarzan when James says to. Right, right, right. I I don't know. I, I um I didn't have a huge dislike for this film, but again, it, it's hard when we come off a movie like Gas and then this is the next movie we watch and I go, Oh, what a relief. We have Thank actors God. and characters and, and, and <laughs> people have, talking. At least we have consistent boobs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like like the the there is so much so much more to enjoy in this. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm watching a film again versus. But honestly, gas I was. think if this movie was 75 or 80 minutes, that it it would be totally tolerable. Yeah, like it, I wouldn't yeah. have even noticed that it bothered me. Yeah, I I agree. I think, like I said, I think that there's uh, there's a salvageable movie in here. I don't think that it's a good movie, but no. it, but it can turn it from bad and unwatchable into okay. I think another part of the problem is that this movie is following Change of Seasons and 10 for Bo Derek in her career. 10, she's opposite Dudley Moore, who obviously handles all the heavy lifting there. He's, right. he's the talker and she's the looker. And then in this movie, she's she's not the looker. She's a talker. And, and this Tarzan character who doesn't say anything is supposed to be the looker. So they just make her naked for no reason for most of the movie to make up for it. But she has lines in every scene, which is going to hurt because Bo Derek it doesn't deliver lines well. Yeah, for She's sure. She's not a believable character. Yeah. And in Change of Seasons, she was like, you know, off to the side playing this character mm. that was in, you know, five minutes of screen time. But uh, yeah. 
most of the movie is about everybody else staying in the cabin. Yeah. It's a it's a thumbs down. Yeah, for it's me. a thumbs down. I'm giving it a thumbs up. That's I'm fine. sorry. I, I, I think I, I honestly think it deserves at least one. Um, so you give it. Yeah, yeah, I'll <laughs> give it. <laughs> I had to jump on the grenade for uh, private lessons, so Ugh. you can take this one. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird. That's a weird hill to die on. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are we thinking, letterboxed? Uh, I don't have it too high here. I have it at 87 out of 99 for the year. It's below Final Exam and above Savage Harvest. All right. Richard, what do you uh, I have it uh, considerably higher, but not super high. I have it at 47. That is considerably higher. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but not, it's, like, it's halfway, half the distance to the goal. Um, don't. Underestimate the, uh, <laughs> don't underestimate the power of Bo Derek's boobs, I guess. I mean, they're, yeah. they're great <laughs> they're boobs. powerful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so 47 puts it uh, below Ruckus, but above Endless Love. I have it in 78th, uh, which is just under King of the Mountain and just above Firecracker. Actually, you know what? I'm going to move it up one. I'm going to move it above King of the Mountain because that's wrong. So it's above King of the Mountain and just below Death Hunt. Okay. And that's 77th place. Our director here was John Derrick. He has acting credits dating back to the early 40s, but his best-known role was playing Joshua in The Ten Commandments. Derrick married his first wife, Patty Bears, in 1948, eight years prior to the birth of his fourth wife, Bo Derrick. Whoa. He's also married to Ursula Andress. That's right. It's like, what? He left Bears for 19-year-old actress Ursula Andress, later the first canon Bond girl, who he then left for 23-year-old television actress Linda Evans, best known for her later work on Dynasty. In 1973, John Derrick took his third wife, Evans, and a 16-year-old high school dropout named Mary Kathleen Collins to the Greek island of Mykonos to shoot a film entitled Once Upon a Time. Completely unpredictably, Derrick began an affair with the 16-year-old actress on set, and his wife returned to America to file for divorce. Derek and Collins had to stay in Europe until her 18th birthday to avoid charges of statutory rape. After they were married, Mary Kathleen Collins changed her name to Bo Derek. Whoa. Despite filming in 1973, their film, Once Upon a Time, wouldn't hit theaters until... 1981, with the new title Fantasies. So we will come back to that later. Oh, God. Derek continues directing his final wife, in titles like Bolero and Ghosts Can't Do It. <laughs> How did, I Cannot mean, wait. What, what is with this guy? How does he make all these gorgeous women fall in love with him? He seems like such a skeezball. Uh, he must be super hot, right? No. I, he's got to be super hot and super charismatic. There's no other explanation for it. Writer Tom Rowe wrote the script for Kinji Fukasaku's The Green Slime. Also, Disney's The Aristocats. And Light at the Edge of the World, which is that one about pirates attacking a lighthouse that looked pretty cool. Writer Gary Goddard, this was his first screenwriting credit. He also did an uncredited rewrite on the Masters of the Universe script, which he also directed. He's also the creator of Captain Power. (gasps) Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there you go. He also has writing credits on the Terminator 2 3D ride, the Jurassic Park ride, and a Star Trek ride. Edgar Rice Burroughs has character credits here. He's a fantasy and science fiction author best known for his Tarzan and John Carter of Mars characters. The site of his Los Angeles ranch is now the neighborhood of Tarzana, but if John Carter had been the more successful story, the neighborhood might be called Barzumia. 
No. Because that's the planet. Oh. John Carter. Wouldn't be Mars? Carterville? Car- Carteria, maybe. Like Carpenteria, but shorter. The music here was from Perry Botkin Jr., who also composed Going South and Silent Night, Deadly Night. Stunt coordinator Jock Mahoney actually played Tarzan in a pair of films in the 60s. Bo Derrick played Jane Parker. She was the wife at the time of director-cinematographer John Derrick, who was 30 years her senior through his death in 1998. She has since remarried actor John Corbett, who is actually five years younger than her. Her first film was Orca, and then 10 with Dudley Moore. We've seen her so far in A Change of Seasons. The last 80s film we'll cover from her is a little gem called Ghosts Can't Do It. Later, she appears in Tommy Boy and Sharknado's 3 and 6. Richard Harris played James Parker. He was King Arthur in Camelot. He was Lieutenant Fallon in Juggernaut. He's King Richard in Robin and Marion. He's Lemuel Gulliver in the 1977 Gulliver's Travels. He's Captain Nolan in Orca with Bo Derrick. And he's Captain Janders in The Wild Geese, which is that other, uh, shit, what's the guy's name? The directed folks and, uh. Oh, Seawolves. Seawolves, yeah. McClaglin. Andrew V. McClaglin. We've seen him so far in the first installment of the Man Called Horse trilogy. Later, he was English Bob in Unforgiven, Marcus Aurelius in Gladiator, and one of his final roles was as Albus Dumbledore in the first couple Harry Potter movies. John Philip Law played Harry Holt. He was Pygar in Barbarella, Diabolique in Danger Diabolique, and Sinbad in The Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Miles O'Keefe played Tarzan. He's back next season as the lead of Ator the Fighting Eagle. Later, he shows up as Count Dracula in Waxwork. Steve Strong played the Ivory King. That was the giant warrior of yeah, the Painted yeah. Tribe. He'll play Warrior in Looker later this season. He's a former professional wrestler. Yeah, I mean, I, I still don't understand him in this movie. Like, who is he's this giant white dude. Yeah, he's the Rufio of this tribe. I don't think we were supposed to notice that he was white. Well, he's all painted up, painted, but yeah. like, he's definitely a giant white dude, yep. like in the middle of the jungle in Africa. Why? Was Maybe he, he shipwrecked there and he was the tallest. Yeah, I, I thought for sure that he was going to have been some person from a previous expedition that just sure. said, oh, hey, I'm just going to live here. This yeah. is my tribe now. These yeah. people make me whine all day. I'm yeah. fine. Um, they wake me up promptly they, they at 6 bring, p.m. They, every day. They bring me white ladies that they find. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was also hoping that there would be some kind of comeback around to the Egyptian expedition. Sure. Like like that somehow like this tribe is the remnants of the egyptian group they got stranded here on the side of the rock wilfred hyde white played club member that's one of the voices at the beginning he was three goddish things last season he was the voice of zeus in xanadu he was abbot thelonius in in god we trust and he was judge thomas miller in oh god book two laurie main played another club member voice Laurie Main is also the voice of Watson in The Great Mouse Detective and a narrator of various Winnie the Pooh shorts. CJ the Orangutan played an orangutan, uncredited. CJ allegedly portrayed Clyde, uncredited, in any which way you can. Tony Longo is credited with stunts, or uncredited with stunts. He also plays Rock in Sixteen Candles and a detective in Fletch. And lastly, Neil the Lion, uncredited, shows up later this season in Roar as... A lion. (laughs) Surprise. Those are all the credits I have for this one. 
I think that's everything we have for Tarzan the Ape Man. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord. You can join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com slash Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing wolfen which imdb describes like so a new york cop investigates a series of brutal deaths that resemble animal attacks our god is an indian that turns into a wolf and it's wolfen man we leave you now with a trailer for wolfen orion pictures presents Wolfen. For centuries, they have been hiding in the rubble of your cities. The concealed threat. The invisible terror. Chris! They can sense the rhythm of your blood. Hear clouds pass overhead. See where you are blind. A force so deadly, it will tear the screen from your throat. Wherever you are, they are. Somewhere in the world, every other day, a corporate executive is assassinated. Team her up with Wilson. There's not a trace, not a speck of metal. Nothing softer could have ripped and ravaged like this. Is it an animal? Well, it ain't human. Do you realize how many people disappear without a trace? Something out there might be eating people. Did you hear that? Yeah! Get out of there! What do you think it was? You were being lured. We were being separated. By what? The carnivore. You got yourself some kind of meat eater. Meat eater. Meat eater. Meat eater. Meat eater. Brick Pit Podcast, the podcast you didn't know you didn't need. We talk about film theory, history, as well as television, genres, and a cavalcade of topics on our favorite medium. Uh, like I've said before, you know, try watching uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show by yourself. <laughs> right? That is the perfect, perfect example. So, <laughs> like that, there, that's a, that's a that's sad a... experience. What is a Brick Pit? Any minor detail in a film that breaks your suspension of disbelief such as the bottomless pit in the movie 300. Who bricked it? The more wild the movie, the harder the brick pit hits. I'm glad that nerds don't have to go through that anymore, but I can't help that through my formative years, it was it was an unkind world for somebody like me. <laughs> so I'm a little salty. The Brick Pit, your premier podcast for uninformed opinion. Find us wherever podcasts are sold.